Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. God is so good and He has, he has some, uh, so much in store for us. Hey, we are, yeah, last week we, we sat in Luke chapter 10 and we, we landed at Mary sitting at the Lord's feet. And we talked about this beautiful, wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. Just the simple gospel that in a confusing world, sometimes the simplest thing is the greatest thing. That we sit at the Lord's feet and all that He does has done and all that He is and all that He will do. And there's beauty there. And that's the Lord's desire for us. Not that we wouldn't do stuff, not that we wouldn't work, but that all of that would be an overflow, not a striving, not a doing, but as an act of surrender, it becomes an overflow of who we are, amen. And I really felt the Lord's um, direction this week just to carry on the story, to carry on in the book of Luke, to go at Luke 11, land at verse one of Luke 11. Because when we come from chapter 10, because Luke 11 follows chapter 10, right? And, and chapter 10 are these stories of work. There's this story of uh, Jesus sending out the 72 and off they go and do their thing. There's a parable of the Good Samaritan. So he tells these stories of doing stuff for the kingdom. And then he lands at the story of Mary and says, oh, but this is, this is better. This is what you should be doing. This is where everything should flow out of the sitting at Jesus' feet. And then he goes to chapter 11. And so reading from verse 1 through 13, says this. I'll give you a moment to turn to your Bibles. Luke 11 from verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Jesus was praying. I used to always ponder that question. Why did Jesus pray? Like if He is God... If He is who we said last week, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the firstborn over all creation, by whom, through whom and for whom everything was made that has been made. If that's Him, why did He pray? It's an interesting thing to ponder. When He finished, one of His disciples who saw Him doing this and may well have thought a similar thing said, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught His disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. And so often we stop right there. And we might wonder, well, that doesn't sound quite like the prayer that I grew up praying in my Catholic school or my Lutheran school, because there's, you know, it's a bit different. Well, go to Matthew and there's a little bit of an addition. And then there's something thrown in from Chronicles, which is chucked in at the end, which is okay to do. But actually Jesus' teaching on prayer doesn't finish in verse four, friends. Jesus' teaching on prayer in this moment finishes in verse 13. So what do we have to do? We've got to keep reading. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, Lend me three loaves of bread. Another friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. 
I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, everyone say audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, this is Jesus' words, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? What an incredible passage of Scripture. Um, a number of years ago, I was invited to be a part of a what you would call an ecumenical leadership group. So there was people from Lutheran, uh, Baptist, Pentecostal, uniting, Catholic, like a, a different representative from all the the different denominations from around the state. And we sat on this group of, I was there sort of, I don't really know why I was there, but I was there as a part of um, Ignite. We'd started Ignite Ministries recently and there's the guy from Youth Alive was there and we formed a pretty good friendship. And um, we're sitting around this table with these people. We're talking about young adults and youth and we're talking about how to engage the next generation in the gospel these great conversations and we, we got onto prayer and the importance of prayer and seeking God and all these sorts of things. And uh, my mate, the, the Youth Alive director, led this devotion and it was so good and we, we got all excited about it and we said, yeah, no, we, just need, to, we need to pray passionately. And we need to be a passionate people who are passionately seeking God. Like, so let's pray together. Everyone's like, yeah, let's, let's pray passionately. So, Sam and I stood to our feet. We're like, right, we're going to pray passionately. We're not going to, we're going to seek God's heart for the, the state and for the city and let's get into it. Come on, everyone, get to your feet. And one other person stood to their feet. And we're like, all right, we're going to pray. And, you know, just so we could be ecumenical, we'll go around the circle and you guys, you can start. We said to our Church of Christ friend, said, you can lead us off. And he was like, yeah, let's pray passionately. We're going to pray. And I remember saying, no awkward silences. We're not going to have any of that, you know, nonsense where everyone just waits and it's weird. And then someone has to jump in. He goes, let's just go for it in Jesus' name. He was like, yeah, fantastic, great. I said, all right, start us off, Adrian. And she goes, all right, everybody, let's pray. So I'm up there like sort of pacing because that's what I'm limited with this new outdoor stage. But I'm pacing, I'm getting ready. My mate Sam's pacing more than I'm pacing, firing up. And Adrian sits back down in his chair and he says, Lord. Five minutes. Now, that was about 10 seconds. Five minutes. And then he finally said, I was looking at it, I'm like, has he, has he had a heart attack? Uh, do we need it? Like, do we need a kick? Are we supposed to jump in? Like, is what's going on here? But he was just deliberate and intentional in sitting in silence. So we went around the circle and we eventually prayed. And at the end of the prayer, I'll never forget, he said to me these words. He said, Dave, passion isn't a volume. It is a posture of your heart. Volume is a personality. 
Passion is a posture of your heart. And you know when, you, when someone says something, sometimes people say stuff that's profound. You're like, that was good. And then you carry on. And sometimes someone says something and it's like an arrow that pierces your soul. And you go home and you can't think of anything else. And then the next day you think about it and the next day you think about it. So you see, for me in that moment, there was something that, there was such a weight on that word because I saw in this guy, someone who was content with silence. And I was going through this thing at the time where we just started this church and I'd started, you know, for the first time in this Baptist world, which I didn't know a whole lot about. And I was going to these things and everybody was talking about silence and solitude and quietness. And I felt like this massive outsider. So I'm like, oh, why does everyone have to be silent all the time? Can't we be excited about Jesus? Can't we be fired up and making some noise and jumping around and all these things? And they kept going on about silence and solitude and quietude. And I did this, this retreat where I spent the whole day and I wasn't allowed to talk to a single person for 24 hours. And I was like, I'm okay with not eating for 24 hours, but talking to people, what the? I'd be like walking and I'd see, you know, let's pretend Lee was there when I, you know, I'm like walking, I'm like looking at him like with my eyes. And I'd walk past and we'd sit down at dinner. And I'd, look, I was struggling so much. And so when Adrian said this thing, I remember just going, wow, there was something so significant on that for me, that God had a word in that moment for me. Because I was pastoring, I was preaching, I was leading, I was teaching, I was doing a whole lot for God. But I realised that my quiet time, the actual solitude, just me and Jesus was virtually non-existent. I'd get up and I'd pray with people. I'd get up and I'd turn on music and I'd listen to music. I'd go to the next meeting and pray with people. But God just like, where is the stillness and the silence? And why do you struggle so much with it? I was like, God, is this my personality? Teach me to pray. What does this mean for me? And the Lord started to show some stuff in my heart and say, I can't take you where I want to take you. I can't do what I want to do in you unless this first becomes a priority, unless we deal with some of this stuff and you begin to understand the significance and the importance of prayer, of silent prayer, of quietude, of waiting with me. So I began to say, Lord, teach me to pray. I was like, well, where's that in the Scripture? Lo and behold, there's some people who ask the exact same question. And why did they ask that question? Because they saw the guy who could walk on water, who could heal the sick, who was the living God himself. And they looked at his life and his life was built around the quiet place. Over and over again, Jesus would be ministering and he'd be like, all right, guys, I've got to go. I'm out. And up he'd go. And one day as he was praying in a certain place, clearly something triggered something in the disciples' mind. Where they're like, what is it about this dude? And so they look at him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. What, like, teach us something of that heart. Teach us, show us, reveal in us. What is it, what is it that is significant. Why do you do this? How do you do this? What is it about this that's special? 
What's it all about? And so they ask this question and the Lord says, well, when you pray, and then he goes into that famous old prayer that we've heard. So I began to sit in this passage and say, God, what is this? Because in my life, working in a Lutheran school and being a part of a uniting church growing up, like for me that the Lord's Prayer was very much just a prescriptive prayer. This thing that you stand up and everyone says, our Father, some people say who is in heaven and some say art. And that's always a bit awkward when you don't quite know what each other's going to say. And then some people would say debts and some would say sins. You know, you'd say it's slightly different, but we'd just quote it and then we'd sit back down. Is that true for anybody else in this place? Come on, somebody. I was like, it's just a prescriptive thing. It's a religious thing. It doesn't really mean much. So then I started to think, well, maybe it's a pattern. You know, maybe it's about, all right, Father and the Matthew version, Father who art in heaven. It's like, start there, start. And I was like, oh yeah, that's awesome. That follows the, the biblical pattern of worship that we see in, in the tabernacle and the temple, this idea of entering with thanksgiving and praise. It's like, maybe that's it. Maybe it's the pattern of prayer. And I think there is something in that. But then as I began to realise that this passage doesn't finish at verse four, but finishes at verse 13, I started to understand that Jesus actually isn't giving another prescripted prayer. Jesus isn't even teaching a pattern of prayer. What Jesus is teaching here is a posture of prayer. Everyone say posture. He is teaching a posture of prayer. He's teaching the heart condition. He's saying this, when you pray, it's about putting your heart in a certain place. And so as I started to understand what Adrian was saying, when passion is not a volume, passion is a posture of your heart, that prayer comes out of this posture. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach His disciples. And so I want to go through this quickly today and show you five things, five postures that when we, when we get this, when we get what He's saying, it will totally radically transform our lives in prayer. And the first posture is this. The first posture is to see God as Father. It is a relational posture, a relational posture that we who are the grass of the field that withers, who we are but the dust of the earth that's here today and gone tomorrow, that we who are so insignificant, who are nothing in the blip of eternity, who are sinners, who are prone to failure, prone to wandering, prone to nonsense, you know, this is who we are. And yet we get to call God Father and not just get to, but that He wants us to. That God is a relational God, when we begin to see, do you see God as Father? Do you see Him as this relational God who longs to be with His children? That Father would say, hey, come to me, like a father's with His children. It's like, yeah, come to me, come to me, come spend time with me. You know, yes, they were on the slip and slide, just there with the kids, it's just great. Time with your children. God wants to spend time with His children. He longs that we would see Him as Father. Do you know, contextually understand this is radical what Jesus is doing here. In the Old Testament, the word Father for God, Abba, Daddy is what it literally translates to, is only spoken 15 times in the entire Old Testament and never in relation to an individual. In the New Testament, 
It's used 165 times. There's a radical shift happening in the way way that Jesus, God wants us to see Himself. Father, you know, Romans 8, 15, for you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. 1 John 3, 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Father, do you know, I realised that Jesus, the reason Jesus prayed was not because He had needs, it was because He wanted to be near That didn't land enough with all of you. There wasn't enough wow, because that blew my mind when I realised that. Jesus didn't pray because He had needs. He prayed because He wanted to be near. The, the, thank you. (laughs) Come on, you know I need a bit of, my love language is words of affirmation. Let's go church. He needed to be near. He needed to draw near to His Father because He and the Father are one. And it's near the Father that 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 was His greatest desire. So when He goes to pray, He's modelling intimacy. He's modelling intimacy. That the disciples would look upon that and be like, man, I want that intimacy. Why do you have that? He's like, because He's Father. And in me, He's your Father too. That He has come for you that you would know. And guess what? Matthew 6, in talking about prayer, as it elaborates, he says, your father knows what you need. So don't be like the pagans who babble and use many words. He goes, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray, Abba, Father. He's saying he knows your need. And if he knows everything I need, like we've turned prayer and we sit down and we say, Lord, can you please do this? We've turned him into a vending machine. We've turned him into Father Christmas. Here's my list, I'm checking it twice. Then I'm gonna find out if I'm naughty or nice, whether or not you give it to me. That's not what prayer's about. It's about drawing near. If He already knows what we need, why do we pray? What's the point? Because it's not about getting something, it's about drawing near to someone. That's what prayer is about. And that's what Jesus wants His disciples to catch. That's what He wants us to catch. When He says, go and pray, go up to the mountain, spend some time quietly, devote time, wake up half an hour earlier than you normally wake up. Why? To draw near to the God of heaven who created everything, who is over everything, is almighty and all powerful and incredibly majestic and died on a cross for you and me so that we could draw into His presence and say, Father, it's a relational Posture. Number two, it's a reverent posture. Yes, he's father. Then he says, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. It's a reverent posture. Yes, he is father. And yes, he longs to have intimacy with us, but he is also hallowed. And do you know this in the in the Greek? This, this isn't an ascription, although that's great. Like praise is where we're ascribing. We're, we're telling Him how good He is. We're saying you're worthy of praise. That's not the language here. This is, actually, this is actually a request. The language is a request that God would hallow His name in our lives. Oh, 
It's a request that every day we would sit down and say, Father, Father, magnify yourself. You are all of these things. You are mighty and majestic and incredible. That's who you are. Now do that in my life, that my life would be the overflow, that my life, that I would become that that vessel whereby your living water flows out, that you would be hallowed in everything that I do and say. Hallowed be your name in my life. Your kingdom come. It's reverent. It's saying, no, no, it's not about my kingdom. It's not about me and what I want and what I desire. It's about you, your kingdom, Lord. It's returning to the Garden of Eden, that choice where in a moment it was either I'm gonna submit and surrender to the will of God and the kingdom of God, or I'm going to long for my own kingdom to be built. And the sinfulness of humanity consistently longs for our own kingdom. And Jesus saying to return to a posture of reverence, Return to a posture that's saying, it's not about me and my desires and what I want. It's all about you and your kingdom being made glorious in my life. It is a reverent posture that this Father is King. He is King. And the third posture is a posture of reliance. Everyone say reliance. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. You see, there's something about it. As we realise that God is Father and we long for Him to be hallowed in our lives, something happens in us. Because when we're sitting at the feet of Jesus, as Mary did just before, there's this, there's an uneasiness of soul that quickly realises actually, I can't save myself. When you look at His glory, you start to go, ooh. (laughs) You know what I mean? Anyone been there where you look inwardly and you just start to go, ooh. (laughs) That's not so Christ-like. And you start to realise that I need Him more than anything. This is why it says daily bread. Daily bread. Bread is the simplest thing. It's the basic need for sustenance. I cannot sustain myself. I can't do it. I need That's what happens when we sit in His presence quietly. We realise I'm not self-sustaining. He is the sustainer of all things. So give me your daily bread, Lord. Or while we're at it, forgive those sins that consume me and lead me not back into that place. Keep me at your feet, Lord. I'm so reliant sit in that space. You will revere Him more because it is so incredibly humbling. Amen. So incredibly humbling when we understand how great and wonderful and merciful this God is. We need Him. Prayer is a guard against pride. Prayer is a guard against pride. And so often we stop there, friends. But Jesus doesn't. He keeps teaching. And He goes from the prayer into a parable. And in the parable, He's continuing to teach on prayer. And this parable is so interesting because it reminds me, a couple of days ago, Joe and I celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary. So great. Thank you. Very exciting time. Hopefully another 50 odd years to go. But as I was sitting with this, celebrating that, I remembered the night before our wedding 
Because often what happens is, yeah, you know, the girls do their thing, the guys do their thing. And I had a whole bunch of mates over. And one of those mates is my dear friend, Jeremy Jakes, who pastors at Gateway Baptist down in West, uh, Port Adelaide. And all the lads stayed and they all hung out till about 11.30 and then they went home. And Jeremy's a big boy and you can never fill him up. So we had this huge feast, right? A huge feed thinking no one's like, no one is hungry. Everyone's full to the brim. Jeremy leaves our house and he was doing renovations on his house. So he had no bathroom. But Jeremy, instead of going home to bed, went to McDonald's. So he goes to McDonald's, sits at McDonald's for a couple of hours eating some Big Macs. And as he sits there, and then he has this sudden realisation, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. And so we've all, by this time, everyone in our household's put themselves to bed. I'm at, like, at mum and dad's house. So mum and dad are in bed. I'm in bed. The groomsmen are all in bed. And Jeremy, the next thing we know, he's at our house at 2am in the morning and he's knocking on my mum and dad's window. And he's going, my mum's name's Ellie. He's like, Ellie, Ellie, Bill. That's my dad's name. He's like, Ellie. And then apparently my mum just sort of opened her up and goes, yes, Jeremy. <laughs> Didn't freak out. Just was like, oh, Jeremy's back. And he's there and he's like, I really need to go to the toilet. She's like, okay. So she gets out of bed, goes, opens the door. Jeremy comes in, goes to the toilet, then goes home. The next morning after the wedding, I hear this, like, I hear this story. And I just said to him, why didn't you go at McDonald's, mate? <laughs> you know, you're at McDonald's. Why didn't you just go there? Anyway, side note. <laughs> but it's so interesting that mum at 2 a.m. in the morning, six foot six, 100 and whatever kilos he is, just lets him in. <laughs> why? One, because they're a relationship, but two, because he had the audacity to knock on the window at 2am in the morning. And not just a gentle, Nut didn't wake up. He's like, Ellie, Ellie, Bill. There was this shameless audacity of I'm knocking on this window because I know who they are and I know their character and I know they're going to let me in. And as I read this parable, I couldn't shake that, that memory because here Jesus is saying, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Now, context, yes, Jewish culture, hospitality is important, right? Very important. The, your neighbourly relationships are also very important. Now they had a one room house. Think about that. It means everyone slept in the one room. They usually had lots of children. So here's this guy, it's midnight. He's put his whole family to bed. Now, some of you parents in the room with young children, you know how hard that is. You spent two hours putting that child to bed. That child's finally gone to sleep. The last thing you need is a neighbour knocking on the door of a one room house with the audacity to say, friend. I'd say that's pushing a friendship. It's the middle of the night, bro. Eat in the morning. And so he very kindly and politely says, friend. <laughs> Another friend's come looking for food and he says, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. So this guy's knocking and he's like, I'm going to be polite because this guy's a friend, but the door's locked. I finally got the kids to sleep. Can you please not 
bother me. And yet, what does this person do? Continues to knock. Why? Because he needs bread. Because he realises he has a need that he can't fill. The most basic of need he cannot sustain. So he knocks on the door and there's a reason. It's again, look, that relational principle. It says friend for a reason. He's saying that God is our father and our friend. It's a posture of relationship, father and friend, father and friend. That's who God is to our, his people. And so he knocks and he knocks and he desires, I've got a need. There is a reliance on God. There's a reverence there where it's like, friend. <laughs> so, oi, give me this. No, it's, it's friend. It goes through the exact same postures that he's just showing in the prayer, but then there's another one. And the next one that he reveals is that he longs for us to have a relentless resolve. A relentless resolve that it says, I didn't open the door. He won't open the door because you're a friend, but because, read it with me, because I tell you, even though you will not get up because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. There's something in this where He wants us to be like Jeremy on the bedroom door, just saying, friend, father, I have a need. And I'm coming to you, I know it's midnight. I know it's midnight, but there is a need in my life that I don't have a solution for. And so I'm coming to you. I know you've, you know, kind of running the whole universe and doing all these sorts of things, but maybe, just maybe if I'm, if I'm prepared to be relentless in my resolve and continue knocking, just maybe I have a friend and a father who cares enough to answer me. Amen. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of a father. Anyone here who is a father, I want you to understand something that God's heart, it's not, it's, He's not sitting here saying, hey, the moral of the story is just keep asking and He'll get so sick and tired of us that He'll just give us whatever the heck we want. It's not like, Dad, can I have an ice block? 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 Oh, stuff it, sure. <laughs> it's not what He's saying. What he's saying is because he's father and because he's friend actually is his greatest delight and desire that we would go to him for our need, not anywhere else for our need. What sort of a father? And in our fallenness, we do this. But imagine if, um, if my children, let's say that one of my kids comes home and they, I say, how was your day, love? And they say, oh, I had a terrible day. I'd love to talk about it. And I like, what's my response gonna be as a father who loves that child? I'm not gonna go, huh, no. <laughs> no, because my desire and delight as a father is that they would want to confide in me and spend time with me and bring their needs to me. That's the father's heart. Imagine being a husband and your wife comes home and you're like, how was your day, love? She goes, oh, terrible. Can we talk about it? And you just went, sorry, not now. There's a whole lot of reasons you wouldn't do that. It's not the heart. The heart is, yes, come, let's talk. That is the heart of a father. That's why he wants us to continually knock, 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 because he wants us to come. He wants us to persist and he wants to teach us that, that he's not a genie in a bottle, that he's not the vending machine. No, he's a father who is hallowed. And it brings us to the last point. I'm gonna invite the band up and we'll, we'll close. 
But as 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing. Why? Because we pray expecting our reward. So he says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks the door will be open. Which of you, Father, if you ask sons for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? In Matthew 6, the word it uses is this idea of reward. How much more will your Father reward you? And we often don't like to think of that because we think of reward in the physical. We link reward with finance. But he makes it really clear here what the reward is. It's like ask, seek, you're going to receive. Keep knocking, you're going to receive. You're going to get what you want. How much more if you know how to give good gifts, will I give you the Holy Spirit? Or Holy, he says the reward is not the stuff. The reward is a person. The reward is the Holy Spirit. If you come to me as Father, if you, if you prioritise that posture in the quiet place, as you seek me and you understand who I am, as you honour me and revere me and all of these things, I will not fail to give you what you need. I will not fail to give you bread, the bread of life, the Holy Spirit who will illuminate Christ in our lives. That's my heart. That's who I am. And so when you have need, I've got your need in the palm of my hand. And what you think you need might not actually be what you need. You might be longing for healing and instead of getting healing, I'm gonna give you the healer. That you can go and be someone who can be a voice for others. You might be longing for a job. He goes, no, no, I'm gonna give you the provider. He actually gives us the person, which is so much better than the momentary, amen. It's so much better than just, oh, I got my miracle. But actually he wants to give you the person of the Spirit who is the one who works the miracles. He wants to give you intimacy, the bread of life that sustains through all things. So pray, that is our reward. We've been reading Genesis. We've just finished that, moving to Exodus as a church. Or maybe I'm a little bit ahead, I'm not sure. But in Genesis 15, so good, the covenant passage. You guys can play whenever you like. The covenant passage, which is the picture of Jesus to come, yeah? Look what God says. Do not fear, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. Abraham's reward is not the land. Abraham's reward is not the family as numerous as the sand on the sea, sure. Abraham's reward is God. Oh, that we would catch that Hills Baptist and whoever else who is watching online. God is your reward. He is all in all. That is why He longs us to come so that we would realise it's not about something, it's about someone, that we would realise it's all about Him, it's always been about Him, which is why we would be drawn to the secret place. Why would we, we, why we would long for silence and solitude, why we would long for intimacy with Him. And as I began to see this, I began to go, oh, that's your heart for me. 
not just to lead and preach and teach and study the Scriptures so I can bring a word that might be engaging and relevant. No, no, that He would be my reward. That if none of this happened, if there was nothing else, if everything fell away, if everything was stripped back and taken from me, that I could sit there and say, you are my shield and my very great reward. And that only comes when we see Him as Father who loves and cares for us, when we see Him in His glory and we revere Him, when we see our own folly in the light of His glory and His splendour and we realise that we're reliant upon Him. And so we come with this relentless resolve to seek, ask and knock, knowing that He has the bread of life that will always, always sustain us. Could you stand on your feet, church? Passion is not a volume. Passion is a posture. Oh, that we, this year, 2022 and beyond, would posture ourselves at the feet of Christ and let Him give us the bread. Let everything else flow. Amen. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what's going on in your world. I don't know what your needs are. But golly gosh, I feel like praying for some people. I really feel like the Lord wants to encourage some people in prayer. And if you've been sitting there and just something's been triggering, can I invite you? Let's pray. Let's pray. Maybe that's just grab the person next to you and say, pray for me. Maybe you want to come down and receive prayer. Can we have some of our elders and uh, uh, those people with the faith to pray, love to pray for people. Can you guys come down? We'll just go down in that general vicinity. And as we sing this song, which is all hail King Jesus. Ah, what a song. (laughs) We are going to pray. We're going to pray and believe for bread an encounter with God, that we'd stop seeking stuff and we'd start longing for His presence above all things. Amen. Loving Heavenly Father, You're good. You're awesome. You're wonderful. You're mighty. You're magnificent. What a joy and a privilege it is to be able to be here in Verdun, a tiny little backstop in the picture of the global world, and yet You are with us. You're ministering in churches of 20,000 right now, but you're also ministering in churches of eight people, five people, 200 people, 400. You are present with your people. And you see us, you see us. And you say, come, come. I have what you need. I know what you need. So come and pray. I have what you need, so come and knock. I have what you need, so come and sit at my feet. We love you, Lord. We honour you, we adore you, we praise you, we give you permission to do whatever it is you want to do in our lives this year and beyond. In 
Jesus' almighty name and all God's children said, amen. Would you come and pray? Let's be encouraged in all that God is going to do. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.